Hello, and welcome to episode three of How Alzheimer's Saved My Life. I wanted to uh, start off this episode. We uh, finished episode two with me, my mom being in my home in the beginning. Uh, she was there for four and a half years in my home. And I wanted to go and talk about that. This story really goes on two different uh, journeys. As I said before, my journey as a caregiver and a son dealing with a mother with Alzheimer's. And there was two different journeys that I was on at that time. And God was there through the whole process, trying to, I, I, I know, trying to teach me some new ways of being and living and, and doing things. And so this uh, time period, I'm going to kind of bounce back and forth between my uh, own journey, dealing with some of my own stresses and things, and also my mom's journey with me, uh, trying to care for her at the exact same time. So having my mother in the home was easier and harder both at the same time. It was easier because she was right here. I uh, could um, make sure she got the medication she needed every day. I could take her to the doctors every day or whatever day she needed to go to the doctors. I mean, I could do things with her easy because it was right here. But it was also very hard because there was no escaping for me uh, daily the uh, fact of the Alzheimer's disease changing her. I uh, was, you know, personally witnessing this 24-7 now in my home every day. So I had to try to uh, come to some terms with how do I keep that stress every day of seeing that change and hating the change every day in her, and as well as trying to get my life together and get myself going forward um, with a new job and, and to get some income in to be able to keep uh, all my balls in the area. I feel like you always say uh, caregivers a lot of times are like those people that used to be on TV for some of you that are old enough to remember where these had these musical acts where people had uh, plates and they were balancing plates on all these different poles and they were spinning them and running around the stage with all these multiple things spinning and we were all wondering when we saw this how did they keep all those plates spinning and trying to not let them crash and I felt like uh, that's what I was doing exactly keeping all these multiple plates which represented each aspects of my life spinning at the same time and not allowing any of them to crash if I could and so I was trying to uh, get uh, become employed again somewhere um, that wasn't working out for me. God was kept closing doors on that. I was trying also at the same time to see maybe if I could start a business up of my own, which I've done in the past and was, was successful at. But I wanted to uh, see if I could do that. God was closing those doors. So God just kept closing the doors on any kind of employment that I, would, that I was aware of that I could try to do to continue to keep things moving forward for my life, for my family. And at the same time, I started uh, trying to grow myself as a Christian, as a Christian man. And my wife, you know, suggested, and this started through my wife suggesting that I take a counseling course at Saddleback Church, which is my church in Lake Forest here, um, was offering a counseling course for 39 weeks that she would go to 
once a week on Thursdays uh, and take classes. And at the end of 30 or nine weeks, you would graduate with some insight into uh, human behavior and counseling. And so I took that course because my wife said, you should do that. You always wanted to do it. For years, I've wanted to do it. I saw it. But I was always busy with work and I didn't have time to do that, to, to take that class. So my wife said, why don't you try taking that class and see what you think? You know, so I did. I graduated and I applied to be a lay counselor at my church. And so they accepted me and I started uh, doing lay counseling at Satellite Church um, twice a week. And then I, at the same time, I had a support, a small group, we call it, that meets in their homes. Um, the church has many small groups from uh, families getting together. So my house was a small group and it was meeting at home uh, once a week and doing Bible studies. And during this time, I was learning to listen to God and to understand how God communicates with me. And that was huge for me because I never understood that before. As I said to you guys earlier, you know, people always told me about God communicating with them. And I was growing up and people I ran into different uh, people who were Christians and much further along in their walk in life than I was. Um would say, oh, God told me this, or God talked to me about this, and on, on, on. And I always wondered, how did they do that? How did they get these messages from God? And, you know, I thought, did they get their text or email, or did they get some secret code that was sent to them that they could uh, dial into the, to hear God talking to them? And how did they get these conversations? Well, for me, I found out how God really communicated with me. Maybe it's different with everybody. I'm not sure. But for me... I learned that through the counseling process I was doing and the, the counselor, head of counseling would tell me that when you go into your counseling sessions, make sure you pray before you go into the counseling session about the people you're going to meet with and that God helps you with that. And when you pray, God will sometimes send you a word or something would come through to give you some insight into the people you're going to be talking to. And then when you bring up that word, uh, it all of a sudden can create breakthroughs. And so... I was going, okay, I didn't understand it, but I did that just like they instructed us. And I was praying before each uh, meeting I had. And and then I felt this uh, nudge. I can't explain it. It's a feeling. It was like a pushing. It was a feeling. And I know what it is. And then, I, and then that, that feeling, sometimes a verb, some word would uh, form in my mind. And one time, you know, I remember the word uh, trust came through with some couple I was talking to. And... All of a sudden, I brought up uh, something about trust, and they just started crying, and they couldn't believe that I, how did I know anything about that, because that's not anything they were talking to me about, and they um, needed to talk about it, and it broke through the whole relationship and helped them heal uh, some problems that were there uh, pretty deep. So, I realized that this is God talking to me. Now, I understood more how God communicates with me. And probably for years, I just ignored it because I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. But I'm, I was starting to become more attuned to now of how God does speak with me about certain things. And during this time, also, I um, was learning that God really, he's amazing is uh, more than I came to, there's no words for me to describe my feelings for God and our Lord, but it is a journey with him. 
and he's bringing us along on the journey. As long as we cooperate, we want to go along with the journey, then he brings us along in that journey. And so, like my, uh, my mother during this time period, I, um, was trying to figure out how I was going to uh, pay for certain services for her and caregivers and all kinds of things because, you know, when you have this someone, a loved one with this disease, I always tell people we're, in a joking way, we're blessed to have the uh, two uh, worst things with the disease. We're blessed to have the most stress uh, of any caregiving situation there is, is with this disease on a stress level of one to five. Five being the, the most, it's a five for sure. Any doctor or medical journal will tell you that. The caregiving for someone with Alzheimer's is a five. The other thing that you get uh, hit with is it's the most expensive disease to deal with. And it's not because of drugs or things like that, medicines. It's because what they need and what helps them is care, and certain types of care. And that care is very expensive. So then we have to deal with that. And, and most of the time, most insurance companies don't cover the cost of care. So it comes out of our pockets, whatever we end up paying every month. Some of us who are blessed to have long-term care insurance, which is another whole story, are able to use that. But there's, there's a lot of pitfalls with that as well. So most of the time, and most people, it comes out of their pockets, whatever care does cost. So I was wondering, how am I gonna pay for this for my mom? I just didn't see any, um, way for this to happen in the immediate future at that time. And I understood that there's so many things that you think is impossible, that you can't think can't happen, and God makes it possible. I mean, you've heard these uh, things before, but it's very true. And God does make things from being impossible to possible. And it seems like overnight. Uh, but in my case, I uh, someone came across and told me about uh, the veterans, so veterans of VA, and then it, um, if my mom could uh, get any help from them uh, financially every month. And I understood that the veterans, um, I found out through investigating that, that my father was a World War II vet, and that uh, my mom was entitled to what they call aid and attendance for uh, spouses. So I had to go through an application process to apply for those funding for that which is not easy, as you know, anything with the government requires a lot of paperwork. But I went through it, applied, got the forms and applied for that and got awarded uh, probably one of the biggest dollar amounts they award for someone with that support. Then somebody else came by and told me about Medi-Cal. In California, it's called Medi-Cal. In other states, it's called Medicaid. And Medi-Cal had a program for caregivers in the home, an IHSS uh, program for helping uh, you uh, pay for caregivers in your home. So I applied for that again through a long process of a lot of tons of paperwork. And I got awarded from that also the, a really large award every month. So between the two agencies, I obviously started not having enough money to pay for caregivers to be in my home every day. And I still had to pay some out of my pocket, but it was greatly reduced with the help of those two agencies. And, you know, when I told other people about this, they told me they applied for the same programs and got very little money. And they didn't know how, they wanted to know from me, how did I, how did I get so much money from these agencies? 
And I just said, I just did the same thing. I applied for paper for the funds, but you know, I said, uh, God knew I needed this money. God knew my, I, I always told God in my heart, you know, I'm trying to be the best I can for as a caregiver, but I'm just not cut out for it. I just, I just don't feel like I had the skill set or the patience to do it. And I needed to have help. And I think God knew that. And he uh, arranged for these funds to happen every month. And so now that I had these funds, I was able to hire caregivers, bring them in. And that made a tremendous difference for me and my mother. Because my mother was still my mother. And so when in my home, in her mind, I was still her son. And when I wanted to do something or ask her to do this or that or whatever it happened to be, she, she didn't feel like it. She'd tell me, no, you know, I'm still her child. She's not going to listen to me. Why should I listen to you? I'm the mother. So when the caregiver came into play, she viewed the caregiver as a authority person. And so when the caregiver said, oh, do this or that, or, you know, let's go uh, take a shower now or just do a different thing, she would say, okay, okay. She'd go along with them. It was so huge difference for me because I took a lot of stress off me and as far as having to fight with her every day about different things I needed her to do. And now the caregiver could do that for me. And then it made the, and then I knew my mom was benefiting from it every day. So I was really thrilled that I was able to do that through God's help of bringing caregivers into the home. And so that started evolving into more and more uh, time that I needed caregivers. As the disease progressed, I needed caregivers longer and longer. So it started out a few hours, a few hours, and then it, it morphed into 24-7 care that she needed. Um, and that was mainly because in evenings, it was, it was difficult with my mother, and I needed somebody to be with her at night. And um, she had what was the what we call sundowner syndrome. It's a, a a part of the disease. Doesn't affect everyone with the disease, but a good chunk of people get it. And it's just as it's described. When the sun starts setting, uh, they start getting more agitated and upset. Things they, they get nervous, and it just is like that all the way to the morning. And then the sun rises, that they calm down. And my mother. Um, would get like this every day. And I, and I was like, wow. I um, used to joke before my parents' house, when I used to go visit my mom, there was a, um, their, their blinds were always drawn, their shades, everything was, was down. Every time I went to their house, it was dark. I didn't understand why, but then now she was living with me, I understood why, because at two or three o'clock in the afternoon when the sun started setting, this sundowner syndrome would, would kick in for her and she would start having hallucinations and seeing people outside and she'd be very afraid. And so she'd want me to drop shades down on my windows in order so she didn't have to see outside to see whoever was out there. And I had to install blinds in all my windows in my home. And my home has a lot of windows. I love the natural light. I love being able to see outside. But now I brought all these shades, these, these uh, blinds in and she would, at 2 or 3 o'clock, look at me and point her finger down, like like telling me to drop the shades. So I'd go around, drop all the shades, and i call it, we go into lockdown in the house every day. We'd go to lockdown around 2 or 3 o'clock, and there'd be no outside light coming into the house. And she'd be happy. She'd be smiling as soon as I put it in lockdown. She was afraid of that outside, whoever was out there in her mind. 
So with sundowner syndrome, um, I also, you know, at night I could hear when I was in our den, which is adjacent to her bathroom or bedroom, I could hear her going into her bathroom hundreds of times over and over again, opening, closing drawers. I don't know why. And that's just because she was restless because she couldn't rest to sleep. And so I uh, gave her, uh, I asked the doctor about this and the doctor prescribed a medication for her, which I gave her every day at two or three o'clock, which kept her calmer and really helped me with the, her sundowner syndrome. But I also realized that because she was up and down all night, that probably one of the reasons she wasn't sleeping because for 60 years she was with my dad. She slept with the same bed with him for all those years. And now she's by herself and she's got this, these fears. She's afraid of everything. So I knew she, if she would sleep better, probably if someone was in the room with her sleeping in the same room with her at night. So the 24 seven caregiving popped up and we put somebody, another bed in there. So she had the caregiver, one caregiver shift sleeping with her at night. And that helped her at night too, when she needed to get up to use the restroom or whatever. And, but that changed dramatically everything for her because all of a sudden she was sleeping. She didn't get up and down. And once she knew somebody was in the room, she was happy. Even the caregivers used to tell me she would sleep all night or she'd look over at him and then she'd just go back to sleep. So they uh, change and you know, that our perception of what we think they want is, is quite different of what the disease really requires or makes sense to do. You know, in my mind, I thought well, she wouldn't want somebody sleeping in the same room with her, which in fact, though, she did. It made it more comfortable for her. Uh, and her privacy really didn't matter at that matter anymore as much as the disease changed. So that uh, helped me a lot, but also increased the financial uh, outlay every month to have to pay for a caregiver 24-7 and to stay here. So I had two different caregivers every day doing different shifts so and that was going along fine and then I uh I all of a sudden one day was freaking out never forget one day I was just freaking out getting all upset about mom and I don't know why because I had the caregivers were helping her everything you know on the on the surface was going okay but I was really upset I couldn't figure out why so I called the head of counseling at church and I told him you know, I'm going crazy and I don't know why. I'm a counselor and I can't counsel myself. And so he laughed. He goes, Vic, come on in and see me. And so I went into the church and I saw him and I was talking to him. And I told him what I was experiencing. And he told me two things that stayed with me to this day. He said, you have to realize, Vic, you're going through um, two things. One is the, the long goodbye. And he told me about the grieving process and everything. And it made sense to me. So he says, you're experiencing the emotions of grief, which I knew from the loss of my dad and my brother-in-law. Uh, what that was like and I said so you're experiencing those emotions up and down real like a roller coaster those emotions We can't control them or know when they come or go or don't come and Then he said also you're not sharing what you're going through with anybody else You're keeping it all inside and you can't keep everything inside. He said you need to attend one of our support groups and be able to uh, talk to other people who are on the same journey as you are and share that so you can uh, feel better so I, I agreed with him and I went to one of our support groups at church, which I'd never been to a support group in my life before. I never thought I would ever go to one, but I went to her because I respected him and I knew he knew what he was talking about. So I went to the support group and wow, it was amazing just to be able to be in a room with 
eight, ten people that all had the same journey. I didn't have to explain everything to everybody about why I was feeling what I was feeling or what the, what was going on with my mom. They all knew right away with minimal explanations what I was talking about. And it was so gratifying to know you weren't the only person going through this process. Millions of other people in this world are dealing with this. And so I got so much uh, happiness and support through the support group process. And because of that, our support group was uh, run by a woman who was a caregiver and Alzheimer's support group combined. And it was run by a woman that was caring for a brother who uh, had cerebral palsy, but she had no experience with Alzheimer's. So when I was in the group and people were talking about Alzheimer's and asking questions, I was answering all the questions for them. And so the support group leader told me afterwards, Vic, you got to stay and help me run this group because I don't know anything about this disease and you know all this stuff. So you got to help me on and on. And at that time I was doing my counseling twice a week and I was also doing my, uh, uh, in my own home study group once a week. And I was trying to find work and I thought, you know, I can't keep adding things on to me for church when I need to try to find something that, uh, for employment. But so I resisted, but she says, you know, I'm not going to give up on you, Vic. I'm going to keep praying. I need you. We need you. So I kept going to the group and then I saw how important it was that these support groups exist. And if a support group leader is not there or, or retire or stops, the whole group stops. And our counseling department is, is amazing. It has over 140 different counselors. It's free to the community and the church. Anybody can go to it. Um, and I knew that they had all these counselors. So I thought, if I stop doing the counseling, they've got all the support, but the support groups don't have the support. So I went in and told the counseling department, I wanted to stop doing the counseling. I was transitioning to do support group leader. And through that process, I started leading the support group at Saddleback. And I never did support groups before, so I approached it like I do anything with business. I went and analyzed my competition. I went out and went to all the support groups in Orange County, sat in on them, made notes on the things I liked or didn't like, and then I came back and applied them to my support group, the things I thought were good and beneficial. And that really uh, helped me and it helped a lot of people through that process. And I became a, a, a volunteer with the Alzheimer's Association of Orange County and doing support groups for, under their umbrella as well. And I was still doing my Bible study in my home at the same time. And I was still trying to find work every day. So it was just very, uh, some things were very uh, satisfying during that time period. Other things were still very stressful as far as trying to find employment. And this went on for probably two and a half years, at least, that I didn't work at all. Now, again, not because I didn't want to, it's just because that's, there was no opportunities for me. God just had all doors closed. And I was getting very frustrated as you can imagine that I couldn't get something going. And I, you know, it's funny, I, I always say that God talks to me in the shower. That's where he talks to me. He tells me, we talk to each other. Don't ask me why that's where it is in the mornings, that's where it is. And we talk and I fight with God and I argue and I say, I don't want to do this or that. And he wants me to do this or that, or whatever it may be. We have these arguments, but he always ends up winning the argument. But the thing is that I was at that time trying to still uh, take care of my mother, uh, take care of the situation and, and try to get some employment going. So, you know, I always say, 
I, uh, I, our health insurance is extremely expensive. As a lot of you know, health insurance is not uh, cheap in, in the United States, especially California. And so my wife was under, working under her health insurance at her work for us both. Um, but, you know, it was extremely costly. And I just said to my wife, you know, at least maybe I could try to save money with health insurance somehow. So I thought if I go work for a big company, maybe, you know, they all have usually health plans of some sort. I can maybe help reduce that outlay every month. And so I applied for a job at Target. And I thought Target must have good health insurance. That's what I'm thinking. So I applied for a job and I got a rejection letter from Target. And then I said, oh my God, when I got this rejection letter, I said, you know, God, uh, kids work for Target, 12 year olds work for Target and they say, I'm not qualified or they don't want me. I mean, at that point I told God, what do you want from me? You know, I've tried everything possible to try to bring some income in, other everything legal, let me put it that way. And nothing was working. Nothing was working. So I just didn't understand what God was doing and why this was such a uh, closed door for me. All my life, I've never gone through anything like this. And so I, you know, at the same time, during this two and a half years, I was growing in my walk and my faith. And I was also growing in my knowledge of the disease by talking to so many people about the disease and the process of what was going on. And I told uh, the uh, some friends of mine, so I used to meet for coffee every once in a while, I said, you know, um, I, I'm really frustrated. You know, I've learned all this information and I know a lot of stuff. It's like I went to college for a degree course in Alzheimer caregiving. And I said, you know, I have all this knowledge and I, how do I use it to help people, to make it easier for them so they don't go, have to go through everything I went through uh, through the beginning years of doing and being caregiver and learning stuff. And I lost so much time with my mother by not knowing things and not doing things the right way that she, uh, the journey could have been a lot more uh, enjoyable or not enjoyable, but, you know, fruitful for both of us if I had known a lot of stuff in the very beginning. So I uh, told my friends, I said, how can I help people somehow? I want to help people with this. And uh, so they said, well, you know, let me introduce you to, to, do you know a guy named Lauren Shook, who's the CEO of Silverado, which is a memory care company, does the memory care communities. Um, and I said, I've heard of the company, but, you know, I don't know him. Well, they knew him and they said, oh, he goes to our church. And I said, oh, really? But, you know, thousands of people go to our church and you, there's no way for you to know, uh, meet everybody or see everybody. So... Uh, they said they're going to arrange a meeting for me if they could. So an arranging, a meeting got arranged at his office for me to go do- talk to him. And I thought that'd be a good idea. Maybe I could get some information or some feedback from him on how I could use my skills that I acquired as well as my knowledge to, you know, help myself uh, financially to live every all going forward. And uh, so I went to this meeting, I had a half an hour meeting with him one day, never met him before in my life. And I went to have a half an hour meeting with him one day and I went in there and I sat down and he's an amazing guy, really great guy, uh, super intelligent, uh, very good Christian man. And I was sitting in there and he was all business and saying, Vic, how can I help you? And I didn't really know what to say or how to start off. So. I started describing my journey and what I had gone through and what I am continuing going through and what I was helping uh, people 
with the disease. And, you know, and there's a big stigma with this disease. And this disease is, uh, a lot of people are ashamed to talk about it uh, for a lot of different reasons. So since they won't talk about it, it's hard to get help for them. And I uh, told him, I said, I think, you know, a good place to do this would be in church. I said, I think, in a place, knowing from my experience in counseling that people would come tell me things. I'm a stranger about their lives and their families or whatever. They wouldn't tell anybody else. But they told me at church because they felt loved and they felt accepted. So they told me things. So it's the same thing I thought with people learning a disease. If they can go somewhere where they feel... They're not judged and they're loved or respected and they would receive the information or want to go get the information. And these church, and a church could be a good repository for uh, resources and trying to help people with this journey. And uh, so I told him all this in a long story. I kept talking and talking with him because I was so nervous. And I, unbeknownst to me, he kept um, canceling appointments. He kept hitting his buzzer and canceling appointments. Kept, told me to keep talking. So an appointment that started at 11 o'clock didn't end till 3.30. And during that whole time, I was talking my head off just because I was nervous and wanting to explain what I wanted to do or what I thought or something. And so at the end, he was all excited. He says, okay, Vic, what do you want to do? He stood up and he said, what do you want to do? Let's do this. Tell me what you want to do. And I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. And I said, well, I was coming to try to see what you thought, I, you know, it's possible for me to do whatever... Um, to try to make some income and do this at the same time. So he said, well, uh, I said, you know, I'm not a philanthropist. I've been doing this for two and a half years now with no income. And I said, I can't continue doing this uh, this way. So I said, what do I, you know, and he said, well, you know, why don't you come work for me? Problem solved. That was his thing. I said, what? He goes, yeah. He says, come work for me. Uh, tell me what you want to do. Whatever you want to do, tell me. And I said, well, I wasn't expecting that. And I said, well, I was stuttering. I'm going, um, I said, you know, I'll just, you know, whatever you need help in, I can do. I've swept the floors. I've done everything. I can do whatever it is in your business or any business. Just tell me where you, where you need the help and I'll do it. And he said, well, but I said, I want to have time to do this. We're talking, what we're talking about. And he goes, we well, you know I only want you to do this. That's all I want you to do. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, that's all I want you to do. He said, I, 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 I agree with you. This is the, I think this is the best way to reach people and families about this disease. And talking to churches has not been easy because they are skeptical, uh, skeptical of a lot of companies that are for profit. But I think what you're, what you're saying and where you're coming from, I think it could work. And so I said, okay. So he says, go home, make a plan, come back. And we'll present it to the board and see what they say. If they uh, they say yes, then let's try this. So I said, okay. So I went back and to make a plan. I went to my pastors in my church, talked to them, and I said, what, told them what he said. And I said, what do I do? And they said, well, Vic, it sounds like a ministry plan. You should put together a ministry. So there's no really paperwork that says how to put together a ministry from A to B so or C. And so I... Uh, went and approached it like I did in business. I created a business plan. I took all the financial part of it, out of it because there was no finance uh, part of this and made it about helping people. And I named it the Mind, Heart, and Soul Ministry. And I put it together in a package. I came back, presented it to his board, and they loved it. And so he said, let's try this, Rick. They want to do it. So 
He said, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but at least try it. So I took this plan and I now uh, became employed and I figured, okay, now how am I going to make this work? And Saddleback was very supportive of making things, helping you if you really have a passion to do something. And I said, well, I would do seminars at the church and educate people about the disease. And then uh, hopefully they would attend monthly support groups at the church and help them learn, uh, people learn and get supported through this journey. And so, you know, God doing that and with me was amazing because I, um, Salbeck says, sure, they gave me space, time, advertising for the seminars. I put together my very first seminar there in September uh, 10 years ago, and I, over 10 years ago, and I, uh, you know, got, had uh, two or three scientists come and speak and myself. And so I was organizing it with the pastors there and the pastor said, you know, I told him, okay, one of you open, get, stand up and open a prayer and then we'll do this. I was walking through the process and the pastor said to me, no, we're not opening up a prayer. And I said, what? And they said, no, we're not opening a prayer. You're going to do that. I said, what do you mean I'm going to do that? You're the pastors. They said, no, this is your deal. You get up and you pray, you open a prayer and you do what you need to do. We'll be in the audience, but we're not going to get on the stage. You do it. So I was like shocked. I didn't know what to say, but I didn't have a choice. So I said, okay. I, I was petrified of getting up on the stage and talking or praying in front of people like that on a microphone. I just, I never even could think I could do that. So the day came and I uh, prayed about it. I got up and did my prayer. When I did it, it was really hard, but I got through it. And the whole event turned out really nice. We had a lot of people attend it. Um, and I realized that this is what God does. You know, when you're praying for help and God's asking, you're asking God to help you, you know from the very first step, when you make that first step and you see out, step out in faith about something, and you make that first step and you see it works, then it's easier to make the second, third, or fourth step. And when I made that first step and saw that I could get through that prayer, and I realized I could do this, I didn't know I could do this, but I could do this, that the second, third step after that was like, okay, just do it. We'll just do this. We'll do that. We'll do this. And I wasn't, I didn't have that fear anymore. I, I knew that God was there with me and I could do the things I needed to do, which I never in my life imagined I would ever do. So that really opened a whole door for me on, on helping people and deciding how to help people. And I was starting to do it through seminars, uh, which I started doing in churches all across the United States. And, and last year, internationally, we did our first international seminar on, or conference on Alzheimer's. But everything I do is faith-based, and that's what I was doing through the church. And I realized that uh, God was using me in a lot of ways that I never expect, thought I would ever be used, ever. And I, But it was so satisfying to me once I knew I was helping and doing things to help people. That was what's so amazing to me. So at this point, I'm going to stop in uh, our episode number three, and I'm going to transition into the caregiving tip for episode three. Okay, the caregiver tip for uh, episode three is that as a caregiver, you are having to make sure that you you keep your stress under control. Stress is a huge factor in this whole journey. And one of those ways is to, uh, when I say it's 
to keep two calendars in your, in your house, one for your loved one that you schedule all your appointments for them and whatever you got going for them, you schedule on their calendar. But it's just as important to have your own calendar for the same month that's your calendar. And then on that calendar, you make sure you keep your doctor's appointments on there. You keep me, you make appointments with your friends or whoever you're going to do that meet for coffee or whatever you do to enjoy yourself, to relieve your stress. If it's going to the gym, if it's uh, golfing, whatever it may be, you schedule it on your calendar. And then, you know, things change all the time with your loved ones. So you're always bouncing around dates, moving things around because the doctor's changes or your loved one's health or whatever's going on. And when, as a caregiver, it's easy to be in tunnel vision and just drop off all your appointments and everything because you say, I don't have time. I don't have time for that. I got to do this for them or this or this. Everything is focusing on what they need. So instead of dropping things off, if you have a calendar in front of you, you just rearrange your calendar. You schedule it for another day, another time that massage appointment or that uh, coffee with somebody or that golfing or whatever it may be. You just rearrange your calendar. Do not eliminate it because at, if you go on and, and become more of a tunnel vision and you stop doing your appointments, stop seeing your friends, um, you friends will drop off. They'll just think that you don't have time for them. And then you've lost a lot of people around you that's your support system that you need as a caregiver because you're focusing so much on caring for your loved one. And that's not healthy at all for you as a caregiver. So for keeping two calendars, it helps you see it and make sure that you keep maintaining your calendar. And make sure that you tell your regular medical doctor that you're a caregiver, caregiver for someone with this disease if they don't already know. So they can help you and if they see anything changes going on in you, they can help you that you need to, whatever you may need to deal with that journey that's going on. I also wanted at this point to uh, put a, uh, a scripture in here in this episode. And the scripture is Psalm 16.3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. I like that scripture. And these are many scriptures that I've got all around me that I keep uh, to remind myself about life as it goes forward. And so that's the end of episode three. And I'd like to thank you all for listening to How Alzheimer's Saved My Life. Your support is appreciated. And you can help this podcast by rating it on Apple Podcasts or wherever your preferred podcast platform is. By rating the show, you'll not only tell me that you're enjoying what you're hearing, but others will find the show easier. Lastly, share the show with whomever you think will enjoy it or get benefit out of it. Thank you, and goodbye, and God bless.